Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquirers Funds. For regulatory reasons, we will not discuss any of the Acquirers Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquirers Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit AcquiresFunds.com. Yeah, live. Hello, fellas. It's uh, March 24, monster rally today uh, after selling off every day, like waterfall sell-offs day after day after day. Uh no idea where anything is today, but I know that the uh, I don't know where the market is. Do you know where the market is? We are uh, approximately in the middle of a face ripping rally, up seven point four percent on the S and P. Congrats to the people that bottom ticked American Airlines, up thirty three percent today. Strong day trade for Whoa. you. Much respect. Uh, Penny so stock. We, we got some big ones out there. Uh, high yield index continues its uh, meteoric ascent. It was at ten point eight something today. It's a vertical line. I've never seen anything like it before. It's going to blow through two thousand, which took like two years to get there. Don't be a Debbie Downer on an update. <laughs> the Fed's coming in. Well, the, they're going to buy it all. The only the only saving grace is it's it's yesterday's data. Like I can't. I don't. I don't have it live. I've got the close. Um. Do you want to do you want to do the intro, Bill? Let's let's um, find out what we're all talking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, welcome to the face ripping rally edition of uh, Value After Hours. We don't get to say it very much, so we might as well today. Uh, Jake, what are you going to be speaking about today? I'm going to be talking about uh, <clears throat> Mobison's newest white paper that's uh, talking about uh, biases, information, and noise. The bin. Uh, been there, done that, it's called. And uh, Toby, what are you going to be talking about? So I did some buying and selling on Friday. I just want to talk about kind of the, I'm astonished at some of the things that I have had the opportunity to buy. I think it's kind of interesting in how uh, the portfolio is positioned for the coming quarter. And uh, I'll be talking about uh, some of the blow-ups in the hedge fund hotels that I saw. Specifically, the uh, Liberty Complex has been destroyed uh, so we'll be speaking about that right, right now. Right after this. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I, I kind of like that intro. I miss that intro. i got to yeah, work out yeah. how to cut that in here somehow. Tell you what, man, that outro music is hot, too. It's, I it's find myself liking to it sometimes. <laughs> how We Do It by Grace Mesa. I think it's on YouTube. Strong song. Yeah. yeah. She kind of gives me that old-fashioned special feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's for you and her to discuss. This is a family-friendly sort of podcast. Sort of family-friendly. Although, trigger warning again, we do curse on this thing, especially when the markets are down. Today, we'll be happy. The other Speaking thing of, is, of you should throw some comments in. I'm, I'm reading the comments. It's just I'm going to concentrate a little bit more on the conversation this time because I was totally distracted last time. But definitely love the comments. Uh, and if we see anything, I'll throw it up and we can chew on it. And if you want to put a question in too, that's where it, that's where it should go. You want to kick it off, Jake, with Mobison? Uh, yeah, since mine's probably the most academic. Let's eat the veggies the, uh, up the front. Yeah, let's eat our veggies up front. Um, <laughs> now, this paper, if you're making any kind of decisions uh, discretionary in an investment context, this paper I would call must-read. Um, and really, the the gist of it is, is that you know we all suffer from biases and Speak everyone- for yourself, mate. Yeah, well, that's true. We all and we've all most of us have read about them, but it turns out that that almost does nothing. Just knowing about them does nothing to protect against them. You actually have to like bake it into your process how to control for it. Um, so what's really fascinating is that uh, they this uh, the study that that Mobison is is largely quoting from is that they have this. Uh, they break it down into biases, information, and noise. And what would you guess was the most important factor of those three things? Information so to noise? I don't know. So let's... Well, let, I, mean, I mean, I would think you want to reduce noise and bias, right? But that's not like... That's just 
I don't think I'm adding anything to this conversation. <laughs> can I'm you going to go back to the corner now. Let's define what that. Can you define what they are? Let's yeah, talk about what they are. Sure. Bias would be defined as when you use rules of thumb or mental shortcuts that can lead you astray. The heuristics. So, heuristics, yep. So they did this study where they, and actually Mobison has done this one himself, where it was, he's had like 10,000 subjects take this, this test where it turned out that um, on average we had like a 70% confidence on our guesses, but we were right 60% of the time. So we're in his data set, we're like, 10% or, you know, we're 10 clicks over confident, which is probably what you would expect uh, at a minimum. Um, information is a subset of signals that are used relative to the full amount of information that's available to make the decision. Um, so you think about if you have unique information, if you update your views faster than other people, uh, and, and then the weighting of components of information can make a difference. So like basically like, you know, how the quality of your information and how do you interact with it. Uh, and then noise is actually chance variability in judgments. So the funny study that they, they cite for this is Money Magazine did this thing where they interviewed 50 accountants and they gave them the financials of a, of a theoretical family of four that made like $120,000 a year. And they said, what's this family's tax bill? And they came up with the the range varied from ten thousand to twenty one thousand dollars, right? So the the range then tells you what the noise is, uh, and it, it basically like sort of a standard deviation of of those things based on the same inputs tells you how much noise there is. Okay, so I'll I'll cut to the top punchline, but um, it turns out that 25% of the errors can be explained by bias, 25% by information difference, and 50% is actually from noise. Hmm. So noise cancellation, noise, uh, being mindful of noise turns out to be hugely important. Well, how, do you, uh, how do you avoid it? Get the Great. Bose headphones on. Great question. Uh, three Sorry, ways to AirPods, That dude. was weak. The AirPod Pros, come on. Three, three, uh, three ways to combine or three ways to reduce noise, according to Malbosen. Number one, combine judgments. So that means um, independent and the errors offsetting. This is basically like wisdom of the crowds. Uh, that's one way to reduce noise. Uh, use algorithms. So set rules beforehand that you think uh, checklists fall under this category. Uh, and then number three, just they got call it mediating into the matrix assessment. Then. You just got to right say, say number two the, again. The checklist they, matrix. They don't want uh, you to know it's something that they don't want you to tell us. This is the really good stuff. All right, number two, use algorithms, which means setting rules and then following checklists. Uh, number three is what they call mediating assessment protocols. And what you think about that is like you basically define what attributes you think are the most important for making the decision. And then you assign, you gather facts and then you assign some kind of a score to them. Uh, it's so it's almost kind of like a, an algorithm, but like run through a human processing. Um, so those are the ways that, uh, that Malbosen talked or Mobison talked about, uh, getting, uh, reducing noise. Yeah. I, love I feel that. like, I feel like, uh, one of the thoughts that I had when you were talking is, uh, rather than trying to be so precise in like what you think fair value is for something widening your fair value estimate a lot and I, I know it's like really unsatisfactory for people to hear that you know you think something is worth i don't know you know say 7 to 14 billion dollars right and like that that is not precise at all but what it does say is i think it's le if it's less than 7 materially it's a good buy and if it's north of 14 materially it's probably a sell and Anywhere in there, like, you know, I, I, it's, uh, I think embracing some of the imprecision is a smart, uh, takeaway. You're not going to, you're not going to sell any newsletters with that attitude. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't, I can't pound the table on my, but you know, I'm not in that business, which is helpful. I mean, you can't, you can't, I think that that's the, that's a pretty good explanation of it though, isn't it? Like if you, if you find it trading at three and it, Seven to t seven to fourteen, like that. That's that's a good that's a good deal. It's just when it's trading at ten and your range is seven to fourteen, that's not very helpful. Yeah, then you sort of stay away or it's hold. It's a pass, right? but but most most positions are that way anyway, right? Most things are just 
it's seven to ten. I mean, it's seven to fourteen, and it's trading at ten. Like that describes ninety percent of the positions that stocks that are out there at any given time. Maybe not yeah. now. Maybe yeah. Now, now it's been a little nuts. <laughs> I want. I really love that approach, and I try to. You know, I build that into my process. I have very strict screening, very strict update with outside information build portfolios in a particular way i i 100 agree with that and adhere to it uh as strictly as i possibly can because i think that i'm guilty of all of those uh bias and so on i i, I just I'm, I'm too competitive about it it makes me too uh gets the juices flowing too much so i gotta i gotta wind it back and get a little bit cooler when i'm doing the doing the trading and putting positions on yeah bill how about you what's the yeah, you. I think you're maybe the little more discretionary, a uh, little more qualitative. I certainly am now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I tell you, my brain reacted like a week ago or so by trying to go to what I perceive like quality at a discount and a lot more diversified than I normally run, and then at the bottom of the portfolio. Like I, I'm not, this is not investment advice. I don't know how many different ways to say it, but like I picked up Sabre. I think it's, a, and it's tiny, it's really tiny, but I think it's a debt special situation. Their credit agreement indicates to me that the lending group understands that these type of events happen and that they, they might be willing to amend. Given my background, I think it's possible that they amend. And if they do, I think it's a three to four X. What is it? Uh, Can you just give us a little bit more? background on it. yeah it's like the if you, they do they're basically like the back end what certain people see when they're booking seats and stuff like that um i mean basically it's a bet on hotels and airlines coming back at some point right and it's just i i think right now it's a debt bet more than anything i think it's an amendment uh issue i don't even think business quality I, I don't know that it's a business I'm trying to own for the really long term, but I view it as a debt special, special situation. Um, is it is it travel in the streets and sass in the sheets? <laughs> it's definitely not sass. They like to say they're sass. It's like super mm. cyclical. It, you know, it, if bookings aren't happening, it's not getting revenues to the extent that they write. So it's not like a true recurring business but anyway given the truth so i don't know diversified here can we, can we just like let's just quantify that a little bit because pabri who uh famously was very concentrated going into the last big drawdown and then he said that that was a mistake and he became a little bit more diversified or he said that he became i don't i don't know practically what that means but then a few years ago i, I noted that he went back to being concentrated again so what, what's your definition of uh like how how are you weighting positions? Like, what's a special situation trade size for you in the portfolio? That's that's like nothing. It's 0.5%. Because okay. one, I don't know the business as well as I need to. And two, like, I really do think it's a debt, a debt workout situation. And I think it could be a zero. So, um, you know, half like, a, I'm not... Half a percent, though, like, by typical finance standards is, a, is actually not that small of a bet. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't believe in typical finance standards. I'm just trying to add a little context there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 21 positions right now. But doesn't that, that and that's, implies and that's probably 200 positions, I, doesn't it? Yeah, that one's one, that one's tiny. I mean, the top of the portfolio, the top 10 is still like 60. percent So, okay. uh, but I have a lot at the bottom that normally I wouldn't have necessarily. What now you can say, well, why not just pile into the top 10? I don't think that you have the most certain of times right now. So I'm I'm trying to pick things that I think give some counterweight to what's going on at the top and can make it. I mean, I'm I'm more concerned with making it through this period than I am getting super greedy. One of the things that I've been struggling with a little bit lately is the you know, the last couple of years, I feel like have kind of I've been forced into and down into some more marginal businesses. Uh, just because that was kind of the only thing that even got a little bit cheap, like nothing, no good businesses were really on sale in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I kind of got anchored into a lot of like studying these businesses that were sort of marginal businesses to begin with. And now it's like, oh, they're cheap and I know them. So should I, 
add more to those or is it turns out like there's this great chance to maybe potentially upgrade your your portfolio quite a bit in business quality now uh and so struggling a little bit with the sunk cost fallacy of like well you already know this one and it's a lot cheaper than before so stay with the the horse that that got you here uh but maybe here isn't where you wanted to be <laughs> but it's, I, it's a weird kind of like intellectual exercise to try to force yourself out of the things that you kind of feel like you know well it's not only that you got the consistency bias too that you want to be even if it's only to, your, to yourself and to your clients you got this idea that if you change your mind quarter to quarter does that mean that the one that you, the thing that you did a quarter ago was a mistake and therefore yeah. you're kind of admitting to a mistake whereas it's hard what if it rips right after you sell it right and you're like oh. it's hard I, mean, I, I agree with that 100 percent. that's the thing that i've been talking about without sort of naming na- names too much i know i've been talking about berkshire clearly I, i've bought some berkshire I didn't think I'd ever get the chance at Berkshire and I kind of used to poke fun at guys who were, you know, it's Barbarian Capital's line where he calls the 13Fs from, you know, there's a whole lot of value guys who all huddle together and who buy all exactly the same stuff and he calls it generic value partners when you combine their 13Fs <laughs> and generic value partners is always Berkshire, number one, probably Markel, Fairfax, that, like that's just standard no matter what's happening that's in the portfolio and then whatever the hot thing of the day is so for a while it was valiant until valiant took everybody to the woodshed and more recently it's been i guess it's like microsoft and a few other things like that i don't want to i don't want to call down the thunder from the compounder guys but you know there's well, a, am i doing yeah, it already tra- no well t- not, i mean i don't know but like look at what transdime did i it, that what's was crazy that was one of the ones that I think is almost certainly hedge fund liquidation because it went from like 600 to 250 in no time. And I get that they have leverage and I understand that people think they're predatory and stuff. I think that was a massive unwind. And it's sort of interesting to watch these Momo names now that they're not Momo and see who's going to hold through all this stuff. Uh, I think you get to find out who's a real compounder versus who is sort of a momentum trader. Sorry if you can hear the children. That's my life right now. Uh, I got some in the background too. But just oh, dude. I, it's, but that hasn't been shown to be a problem yet, has it? So the, the thing that one of the interesting things that I saw yesterday, uh, it's a Bloomberg article about the fact that the Nasdaq 100 is sort of it's outperforming the S and P 500 kind of by the widest margin. I don't want to say ever, but like ever since like the 2000s. And I, I haven't done this analysis myself, and I really don't want to do it myself. I'm hoping that someone already knows where it is out there. But some way of comparing the composition of the NASDAQ 100 to the S&P 500. Because I've had a variety of guys. There's basically two streams of thought in my Twitter feed when I, when, when I raise that. One of them is, this is just a blow-off top in tech. And uh, we're going to see that reverse some, at some point. This is NASDAQ versus S&P 500. The other view is, well, these are superior businesses they generate more free cash flow they've got better balance sheets they've got higher returns on invested capital it's entirely appropriate that they are extending the lead through this period of weakness also because many of these businesses like they're not really that affected by the shut-in like everybody's still using google everybody's still using microsoft it's not like an airline or energy I don't know what the answer is. I'm interested to know, though. I'd like to see the data. If anybody knows of any research comparing the composition of those two, I'd love to see it. I, I think it's probably both, to be honest. I mean, right now, I, I think people are fleeing to quality, right? So the, the cash flow quality is huge in something like Microsoft. I do think that the growth is going to slow, and they can't, I mean, they can't withstand a lot of businesses closing without having their numbers reflect some of that, right? I mean, it, they're not immune. But I also think that if you're an RIA and your clients call you and they say, what do you own? And you say, oh, well, we got you Microsoft through this period. That's a whole lot easier than saying like, oh, we're taking a risk on you know Dollar Tree or whatever that, you know, and, and even if it's not the right move, I think people are selling stuff that, you know, uh, I'm. Sh- I think a lot of people are going to make good money picking some of these bombed out names and winning. I think right now a lot of institutional incentives are not to have that phone call come at what I mean. How close are we to quarter end? Like, how many people want to record very close or yeah. report that? Oh, Window we aggressive. own a bunch of yeah. yeah. We own a bunch of junk. Well, here's your here's your trans dime. I bought those airlines after they blew up. Yeah, <laughs> they through the bluff. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, this. I would just anybody who is long a lot of those. I would recommend going and looking at what advertising looked like in towards the like in last last time we had an economic contraction. Yeah, that's, it's like a one and a half multiplier. That's a that that's a line item that can change. So I would. Yeah, I, I would. I'm not as sanguine about ad revenue being coming in the door. The other side of that problem. The other side, though, is Facebook just rumored to make a multi-billion-dollar Indian acquisition if they're allowed to. They have an insane balance sheet. Uh, you know, even if advertising takes a hit for two or three years, the business is still in a much better position than like a hotel. What about those two uh, articles yesterday? That. Uh, yes, yeah, I think it was yes, yes, yesterday. About I think one was Wall Street Journal, the other one might have been New York Times. Uh, evidently, they were independent. Somehow, they both came out at the same time. Where they've in the discovery for one of the, for one of the, it's related to the advertising. Um, somebody, not a very big entity, is suing them. Possibly, it's a precursor to a class action. And they've got this discovery, and they've got a whole lot of emails where they were copying. Sheryl Sandberg and so on saying like it's kind of where's telling people that they're going to get these numbers and they're just the population doesn't exist in this geographic area you know we're we're kind of we're telling them the wrong numbers do you think that is going to hurt them I mean that's isn't that basically the core of what they do Tina baby where else are you going to go <laughs> I mean it's cheapish maybe that's why it's cheap yeah I don't know I mean I find that to be one of the harder ones. Uh, to get my head around because I always struggle with the duration of the asset and the other side of it is I do think that there is just a ton of latent earnings power in Instagram and WhatsApp is pretty much enterprise software in the third world and and develop I mean developing generally so I, I really don't know that one's a hard one for me but um, I, I bet agree. they end up okay even if they're lying about stats. Aren't they kind yeah. of hard to, hard to root for a little bit for you? They are, yeah. Yeah. I kind of think the bigger risk for them is just... <laughs> what seems but, to, like, you know, they're... I don't know. It seems to me that there's now this sort of trend where you have the social network, whatever is the most popular social network of the day, kind of uh, disappears because, you know, older people don't use it as much. Young, The youngsters are the ones who are really social. And so they... And they don't want to be on the same network as their olds are. And that's where you get this movement from MySpace to Facebook and then to Instagram. But Facebook buys Instagram and now it's TikTok. Or it was like Snapchat for a while and now it's TikTok. You know, there's a point where you're just too old to keep on moving onto these new things. And there's, you know, I've got to move on to another thing and discover everybody again just so I can share photos of my kids. Like, Yeah. that's. I think that's what drives me. I, I, I hardly ever log into Facebook. I think we got to, I got to business type account in there but i i hate it I, f I feel sick every time i open it up the flip side is they say that their whole system is melting down because so many people are on it so who do i mean i don't know <laughs> fair enough and i, I said the same thing to marcelo lima who knows it really well and he was like well just none of that is reflected in the numbers like the numbers are just staggering they're really good and growing so that's the, that's a better counter argument a lot of cash a lot of cash coming in the door also yeah and i guess you know to the point that Look, if the if it's sea level people writing emails saying like, "Oh, this is fraudulent uh, representation," that seems to be a problem. But I'm I'm not sure. Like Nielsen, are those numbers any better than what Facebook gives yeah, it's you? Hard like, to imagine, right? So it seems like you got kind of a shitty comp as it is. So I I don't know. Um, well, let's let's um, let's do the next topic because we're we're about a third of the way through. Uh, do you want to jump on it, Bill? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had hinted at it already with Transdime, um, but it, it was just like, I think Wednesday, I was watching the, like, sort of the tickers that are hedge fund hotels. So, I mean, like, Formula One, uh, Liberty Series, yeah, Liberty Sirius XM, that discount blew out. Just like a bunch of stuff that, uh, you know, Transdime was a compounder until people got scared and then they bailed on it. And I think that it's a combination of probably redemptions and maybe a little bit of uh, leverage and a little bit of put selling all coming together at the same time uh, to just, I mean, some of the drawdowns in those names. And and like LSXMA has always traded at a discount to what theoretically it should have. 
but I mean, the the discount recently has like really blown out. So I just that's when I had said, like, I, I think that there's uh, there's a lot of evidence of pain going on. The energy, the energy MLP space I follow because of Kyler Hassan, and then I got involved in the energy fintwit, and that's like hilarious. <laughs> energy fintwit is 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 hilarious. It's worth going and having a look. Definitely don't make any comments because you'll just be Wearing roasted. Oh, you, yeah, you're gonna get killed. It's, I mean, and you deserve it, right? Those guys are like the OGs of energy. Um, but like uh, Mrs. Skilling. Yeah, had, that's a great uh, account. Yeah, like a tweet with four closed-end funds that basically just looked like liquidation phases. And if you look at the MLPs when they on that day, like they all just got slaughtered. So it was interesting to watch a lot of the uh, a lot of the tape. And I guess one interesting takeaway is I was listening to old Buffett stuff yesterday, um, and he was talking about the S and P puts that he sold. And, you know, because he understands structuring, he sold European options. And the American options, you can get put them at any time. And that's that stuff feels right. good in a bull market, but it can hurt when all correlations go to one. What are the what are the standard ones traded on the... Uh, I mean, the, the ones that are traded on the... Uh, over the... Uh, uh, not over the counter. The ones that are traded, uh, they expire on a date, right? So that's the American style. Yeah, but you can be put them at any time, right? So you got to be like, you always have to worry about rolling them and whether or not somebody is going to exercise on you. So like on, on Thinkorswim, for instance, the, the account that I use, it's all American style. So uh, I can't I can't sell a, a put and wait until expiration. I have to worry uh, every day that somebody is going to put it to me, which is why I always buy a put under the put I sell. <laughs> try to Try to manage my risk. Although my recent history on Tesla has just suggested to me that I should just avoid the game completely. Because- I rolled out of Tesla. Uh, the computer says no, so I was uh, I was out of that one. The funny thing is, for this quarter, even though it was like a complete shit show and face ripping rally, it actually ended up making money through the end of the quarter. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Definitely not yeah. worth it for the the risk reward was all wrong there. When when you talk about hedge fund hotels. Because Zero Hedge, rest in peace, tip one out for Zero Hedge. And now you can't even click on a link on Twitter to get through to Zero Hedge without getting a, uh, without getting a warning. Um, they used to have this, they used to publish this pretty regularly where they said, here's the, the concentrated hedge fund holdings and they were all like likely to underperform. How are you determining that something is a hedge fund hotel? Are you doing that quantitatively? You just kind of know that there's a whole lot of dudes in one. No, I think I just, I just watch. I mean, Charter's a hedge fund hotel, and you know, you do the thirteen Fs, and you can see where they're bunched. But I do think a lot of the times those businesses are they're they they're, they are hedge fund hotels for a reason. I mean, these aren't a bunch of dumb guys making a choice that, or you know, some stupid decision to pump something. At least. I don't think so in Charter's case. It's something I know about. But you got to be willing to live through some serious vol when stuff happens because there are situations when they're all just liquidating. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you got to be able to take that drawdown and know what you own to be like, to not take your response from the price action. You've got to be able to be like, no, this is fine. It's just what's going to happen in this name. Think about it like from a. If they were, if this was a private business and those were your other business partners, that's a it's an interesting way to imagine. Like, oh, okay, that's who's a, who I'm in business with right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd be okay with it if they're hot money and they just get scared. <laughs> it, like, I'd be like, all right, I'll buy your shares and whatever. Um, well, that maybe is the right answer. There used to be some pretty good research that they those kind of concentrated holdings underperformed. And it was one of the things that I always wanted to look out for. Because, you know, for, so on the short side, that's also the case where there's shorts are smart, right? So there's this kind of meme. I see it on Twitter all the time. Meme, meme, that's my accent. There's this thing on Twitter all the time where people are like, oh, there's a whole lot of short interest in this thing. So if you buy it, you're going to get this explosive move to the upside. That's not right. Shorts are smart. Shorts are in stuff. And they typically go down. Lots of research out there on that. Wrote about a few of the papers in quantitative value. The thing you have to be careful of as a short is being in something that's too heavily shorted because then you become subject to the whims of the other shorts in it and the borrow gets very expensive, becomes hard to make money. But it's a pretty good signal for a long as this concentration, hedge fund concentration. Hedge funds just sort of, everybody, they, 
must all know each other, go and talk to each other on Twitter or whatever, go get concentrated into the same thing without doing their own research. It's, it's not a great signal for the most part. Yeah, well, I mean, like Charter, when I got into it was when they had that integration issue and, you know, people sold that thing like crazy. I, th- I think you, I don't have any data to support this, but I think when there are hiccups in those names, people just liquidate them abnormally more than maybe some other things. But that's, maybe I'm wrong. Do we know of any blow-ups yet? Does anybody listening at home know of any blow-ups? There's been like, I've heard of a few, but they were kind of like stuff I've never, I've never heard, heard of, of before. Company, yeah. Yeah. No name. There had to be. There was one I heard that blew up, but it was one of those ones where everybody kind of trades their own book. There's no single person calling the shots. And I, you know, anything, I, I, that, always, that makes me super nervous whenever I hear something like that. You just got some guy out there selling naked puts into the market. And, hey, we blew up the whole fund. Sorry about well, that. Well, what modest proposal when MVR was trading like crazy? I mean, he he put out something that I think was English, but also might have been gibberish. But it turns out that it was English. Uh, it was some say. pod shop had blown up. I mean, he he wrote a sentence that I didn't understand anything that it's. But he was completely right. He was like, something in the market is messed up. Somebody is blowing out right now, and it was. Uh, so. Well, to to what do you attribute the big run up today? probably short covering it's also rebalancing it's end of it's end of uh, month and (laughs) the stimmy we need the stimmy there's been stimmy all all the way through this though yeah there's a lot of stimmy on the come (laughs) when do when do we get our uh when do we get our thousand dollars or two thousand dollars when does that come through well you're phased out yeah uh, you know so you got to pay it back apparently is that the right i don't know it's hard to keep up on all this stuff it's It's almost not even worth it I want to know where I go for my bailout. Some of the stimmy you got to pay back for sure, uh, but three years. Zero have. interest rate stimmy and uh, zero interest rate line. I take it. I take a swing at Berkshire. Yeah, I want that. I want to get in the Fed window. Get a hundred million dollars and punt it on Berkshire qu- leaps. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't pay it back, so what? Not my problem now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just described a hedge fund. Yeah, that's exactly right. I just described a big bank, honestly. Yeah, that's pretty that. Much. They, they they shouldn't be able to. You can't have both. You can't have proprietary trading and be able to access all of that free money because otherwise, it doesn't take long, either consciously or unconsciously, for them to put together the idea that you can just go and shoot as much as you possibly want into the uh, into the market. And if you heads, I win; tails, you lose. That's a great trade. Shouldn't really surprise anybody hey, at this point, right? So we just got we just got monetized. There was a super chat. I don't even know what that is. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> what? They, they, they just he just he just paid us for YouTube's non monetization because I'm about to say coronavirus. Ah, oh. here's our six uh, bucks. Gone. There it goes. Feed the family, man. You can't say coronavirus out here. How's everybody going at home? Tell us how you, tell us how you're doing. If if anybody's going nuts or anybody's finding something interesting, we're interested in it. Do you see the picture of the baking soda on the floor of my house the other day? <laughs> I saw you. I saw one of your boys' rooms. Dude, these little fuckers <laughs> took baking soda and poured it all over the house, all over. Oh, I walked my outside; God. my wood floors were white. That's oh, not easy God. to clean up. No. Just add vinegar. I told you. You just it'll just boil <laughs> off. That's and that's also a cure for coronavirus. <laughs> Yeah, I love them, but they're testing me right now. You know, we were joking about starting the podcast off with uh, or saying bad words. And I was like, I was going to make the observation that in our household, there's probably been more swearing in the last two weeks than the the two years before that. Everyone's just kind of a little bit on edge. Like, it doesn't yeah. take much to tip over to where daddy's. You know, dropping Definitely. things he wouldn't normally say. Yeah, still four to five weeks, so we'll see how we're all doing at the end of it. Might have a bo- battle royale. My little fellow, my two-year-old likes to walk around saying "f" and "nay, nay," and so we've persuaded him that it's what he should actually be saying is "peanut butter." So now he tells everybody they're peanut butter. It's pretty funny. <laughs> this is devolving. Let's let's move on to another yeah. finance-related topic. Uh, I guess it's Toby, mine. So. Oh, peanut butter! <laughs> peanut butter and your peanut butter. <laughs> That's how he uses it. So, uh, we'd, I've done a rebalance in the portfolio. Like I said, I'm absolutely astonished at some of the stuff I got to pick up. Picked up Berkshire, picked up Markel, 
Um, picked up Schwab. They just all light up every single metric in this deep green color, which makes me feel really good because that doesn't often happen. Often there's a little trade-off to get them really cheap. <laughs> so I'd cover your ears, daddy's stocks are down. So I, <laughs> I, I rolled out of... Uh, I rolled out of E-Trade because it's caught a bid. I, re- I rolled out of HPQ. That's Hewlett Packard. That's the printer division, the really sexy part of the business because that caught a bid too. And Icon's in there trying to force something to happen. So I'm happy with the price that I got. So I'm rolling out of that one too. And then the short side of the book, there's a whole lot of commercial REITs in there. That's not a macro bet at all. It's just that that's what happens when things get really gnarly underneath and the market hasn't quite recognized what's happened. So... I, it always makes me nervous when the the model starts leaning towards some sort of what looks like a macro bet, but I'm somewhat heartened by the fact that uh, Icon seems to agree in this instance, and he's he's also short uh, commercial REITs and commercial mortgage insurance. What what metric is it basing that off of right now? Like, how would it know that things are under? Like, it feels like it's happened so fast. How is that incorporated? What it likes is. It, it looks it hunts for negative free cash flow, really heavily indebted balance sheets, um, lots of share issuance, and so it's th- those things are getting picked up. That's that. why I like Tesla. Okay. Yeah. Well, and also then it also like because I that's not enough. Like if you put that in, you're still picking up stuff that's going up thirty percent a year. So um, the thing that it also looks for is this broken momentum, which is uh, you know that's a little bit foreign for a value guide to use but uh, you know i know a lot of i know a lot of quanti guys and I, i've tested it so much i'm just sort of it's it's real like the the momentum the momentum factor is more robust than the value factor you know that's that's kind of more of a recent thing i think but that's it's definitely a real thing and it works long and short like the like like value does too it's you know it's 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 been the better side of my book through the whole time that i've been live because it's um you know it's, it's kind of like the, sh- the longs are just letting the team down all the time the longs have been really terrible but the short book's been pretty successful so far i'm very happy with it particularly because you know it just provides some protection there too but even on a day like today like those shorts are lagging the long book on a day like today the broken momentum makes some sense to me because i do think that when you follow the discussion that happens around certain names when they're going up, they're these great compounders, and then the price breaks down, and people are like, "Oh, that business is never that great." And it's like, "Well, you guys just talked Narrative about it." Narrative like, price. Yeah, hey, yeah, that's, that's right. They're it's ex girlfriends, right? It's like, eh, she wasn't that hot. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, so I don't. I think. Uh, I think that makes sense. People start to look at the price, and then be like, "Ah, maybe it's not what I thought it was." And Sometimes it's just the business cycle too. Like some things look like they're compounders just because they haven't seen a full cycle yet. And when you they, you don't know what they look like through the downside of the cycle. This one's going to be interesting uh, because I don't think I ever contemplated the economy stopping for three months. And upon listening to our previous podcast again, uh, I realized that maybe I should have been listening to the conversation that we were having closer to – uh, while we were having it, <laughs> the, the one that we had on twenty five February, yeah, you sounded but like I, you were listening to me. You were responding. I, I mean, I was, man. But I guess, I mean, even when I was saying, like, are we really going to do this? I still, I, I don't. I mean, living right now, I still don't know if you rewound me three weeks, what I would have assigned the probabilities to this actually happening. Being. Uh, I think this is a unique case of humans coming together to try to spare a lot of other humans from a virus. I don't know that I would have bet that we would have done this. I got to say, it's I, at this point, I'm I'm really really struggling to get a bead on what is happening because it seems to me the stream is filled with two types of stories. One is that this is completely overblown. Everybody's already got it. They're asymptomatic. Uh, it's just like. It's it's like a regular flu. If you're if you're already old and infirm, you it really isn't great for you. But for everybody else, it's just like you, this is what you get. You get some sort of cold once a year. Then on the other side of the stream is just these absolute horror stories of things that are happening to people when they get it. The numbers are exploding. I really, I honestly don't know. And when I don't know, I want to err on the side of caution. So I 
I would rather that we stay at like this for a little bit longer and just let's let's let everybody who's already got it get it and get uh, you know get over it and not transmit it to everybody else and then when we reopen whatever at like a week or so and then see where we are at that point but the numbers I still think the numbers are looking pretty scary it's just it's hard, it's just hard to get a good data that's why I like the Ackman plan what's what's Akatak's plan I, he, I mean, it's it's not like he's not unique in it. It's just what I think is the right take. You, you shut everything down for like a month. I, maybe it's a month and a week. Maybe it's just under. I don't know. But in the meantime, like we got to get the fucking tests, like get tests out so that we know where we are, because right now it's just a bunch of people arguing over stuff that we don't have any clue about. You can't argue when you have no idea what the numerator is. And you can't argue fatality rates when you're only testing the worst cases. Like nobody knows anything right now, and it's all it's it drives me nuts that we don't have the tests. And then we also got to get the tests to figure out who's immune, and then we can go back to life. So like this month, hopefully people are doing what the hell they need to do to get us where we need to be in 30 days. Then I think we could go back to some semblance of socially distanced life, according to people like Bill Gates and others. What's what's tough is the <clears throat> I'm very optimistic for that like we we will band together and figure this out as a species and humanity and even like capitalism and like people switching over to making things that we need and stepping up for each other at the same time I'm not very optimistic that our government response will be adequate or that as helpful or so it's like all right, well, everyone, if everyone is depending on government to be the answer to this, then I'm very nervous. But if if people aren't, then I'm like, okay, we've got a good shot. Well, I think, I mean, the one thing that I wanted to do that I couldn't, or I didn't have time to do today, uh, is to go through, like, the the sectors of the United States and figure out, like, how, try to quantify, like, what really is the impact here. Um my boy Carson, shout out to Carson's ribs, ribs.com if you need any takeout. Uh, great. His dad like didn't even know what the internet was and bought ribs.com as a domain name oh. and just like crushed it in delivery. But you know, like they he was really bumming. He's the guy that I was talking about, went from 170 uh, tables to 70 in a week and then to like nothing. They've already sort of innovated. You know, they're delivering craft cocktails and barbecue sauce, um, like jars, which is, I mean, it's like very cool. And thankfully, they were busy with delivery on Friday night. I, I hope that continues for them, but it doesn't help the waiters much. You know, yeah. it doesn't get tips to the bartender. It can, it can try to keep the business alive, but it's tough going. Um, we're coming up on 15 minutes, so throw your questions in now and we'll, we'll, we'll get to them. Um, I just want to – what do you, wh- how do you guys feel about the market here? This is just speculation just for fun. We're just talking about it. Nobody's got any idea what's happening. I've seen a lot of bottom calling last week. There was a Brady bottom. There was an Ackman bottom. There was a Tepper bottom. I think the, the guy who was the least – uh, co- the least confident was Tepper. When they, I, I'm sure they were hoping for him to give a balls to the wall kind of comment. Instead, he was like, "Oh, which stocks? Yeah, I'm buying some stuff, but I'm buying stuff that you know, not. I'm not just indiscriminately spraying money around. Probably the not what you're buying." Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so they definitely didn't want. Him. And so Tepper, funnily enough, is probably he's the guy who's called the bottom at the moment. I see a lot of guys who are like swing for the fences right at the very top they're the ones calling a bottom every single day i I, like i said i thought it was rude to call tops but evidently you can call bottoms like you got unlimited respawns in this game so i i don't (laughs) understand the rules honestly well i uh think that there are certainly interesting opportunities right now i don't know what the overall market's gonna do i mean that's too hard but you know there's there's a company Twitter would call it a shit co for sure. <laughs> Intrepid Potash. I mean, that company is so cheap. The equity versus the the what they put into the business. Now, you know, a lot of their investments were to serve the oil patch. That's blown apart right now. Um, people would say they've been horrible capital allocators. Not necessarily untrue, but like it is cheap. Uh, so, I, I, you know, that's. Not something that I'm going to buy in size, but 
I have looked at it very closely to include at the bottom half of the portfolio. And I don't know, like something like LSXMA. I mean, my, my boy Francisco Oliveira was telling me uh, yesterday about it. And, you know, I mean, I think you're at like a 12.5% cash flow yield out of the gate. Today, maybe it's 10.5%. Like, that's a subscription business. Are people going to cancel their Sirius XM? Um, so, you know, I, I think there's bets out there to make, but the overall market's probably got lower to go. What about you, JT? What are you doing? I hate these kind of questions, but uh, I will say that I'm keeping a lot of reserves for potentially better buying opportunities. Uh, I could be totally wrong, and we go right back into the pain zone for for, for guys like us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, you know, wouldn't honestly would not surprise me at this point. Like I've, there's been lots of points already where I thought things were going to devolve from where they were and they didn't, and it came back even harder. So, I mean, why not? But, um, I'm very, very curious. Like I, I kind of want to see Q1 numbers at least before I would ever want to push all chips in, um, but, Here's a question. What are you going to learn from those Q, Q1 numbers? Because you already know they're going to be funky, right? Not funky. Totally fucked. Well, there's like there's half of the. Half you got the a month of okay. no revenue. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just uh, it could. I'm not sure the market necessarily is, is, is discounting how bad it could could look. Okay, well, you say that, but the other side of that is, and I don't know what Bridgewater's process is, but J.P. Morgan cited Bridgewater, and they said that the market right now is anticipating 10 years of lost earnings. Oh, come on. That's 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 what they're saying. It's not, that's just, it's not statistically true. Take it to J.P. Morgan. Don't take it to me. This is the, no, one of the funny the things I've been saying. does not check out there. I spent, right, well. I spent a decade that included 08 saying this is what the Schiller Cape is. And I get these guys coming in all the time saying it's, that's, the Schiller Cape is wrong. It underestimates earnings here because it includes 08. And that was an outlier year. And I'd say that's yeah. the point of it to take a 10-year inflation-adjusted average of it. Yeah. Now, when I put, now when I put comments about the Schiller Cape up, people come in and they say, yeah, but that includes 10 years of like super normal earnings. You just can't win. Like... That's the yeah. point of the thing. It's better than price to sales. It's better than a single year P. I'm just using it for context. It's not a trading tool. I'm just using it to explain where we are in the process. When I look where at are it, we right now? it's still expensive. I would be astonished if this is all done at this point. I feel okay saying this on a big up day because I'm not, I'm not fear mongering on a big up day. I'm not trying to do anything. Do you want to cry? You can cry if you want to cry. I, do I look like I'm about to cry? No, I'm just saying, I will act if you want. I'm just, oh yeah, I see, I see. On a, on a big up day, uh, mate, I'm Australian. Don't, I'm only allowed to shed a tear if a dog dies. I on a big up day beer. like this. <laughs> on a big up day like this, I feel like okay saying it. So here's what I think. I think it's still super expensive. I think we're still below all of the moving averages and all that stuff. We're about to go through a rebalance period. Funky stuff happens in rebalances. It goes up and it goes down, moves all over the shop. High yield spread is still exploding. The TED spread, which is the difference between US and LIBOR, uh, blowing out. I haven't seen, there'll be a print out today. It was at 0.86 last week. Once it gets over one, it gets really scary. So my thought is probably that there's a fair bit more to come here. And uh, I'm saving my big bazooka shot for either June or September when we go through it. That's my two cents. I'll be, I'll be hung by that. You can all come back and roast me in a year's time when that all turns out to be wrong. I'll tell you, if I was super bullish, I'd be looking at small and crappy, and my portfolio still skews pretty big. Did you see the... the because I, I think there's going to be more pain. This morning, uh, O'Shaughnessy came out with a little research paper that was talking about... Maybe we'll talk about it on the next podcast, but yeah. just to tease it. I, I, uh, yeah. I haven't read it properly. I skimmed it. It might be really properly. cheap, man, but you got to pick the ones that survive. And like right now, you really want to pick small? I'll tell you who's not getting bank lines... Let's and I'll tell you who's not getting a lot of help. Like, if to me, if you want to be somewhere, uh, you want to be big. But that's that's also why it's going to rip when it does. Here's a few questions because uh, we're, yeah. we're running out of time a little bit. But here's the first question: How this has been thrown up a few times? So I'm going to: How are younger non-value investing generations supposed to accumulate wealth at these low interest rates, expensive share prices, real estate bubbles, climate problems, etc.? Buy Bitcoin next. 
<laughs> Come on, you gotta you gotta give an answer. Well, what do you mean by non-value investing? Like it's like Munger says, all investing is value investing. All intelligent investing. Yeah, he's saying if I'm buying an index, why won't these boomers let me have good prices? Is that the well, question, basically? Yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, by I would just say that when in history has owning assets ever really been a bad thing? And if you do it over your time. And you use your paychecks. I mean, this is why Buffett says just dollar cost average over time. The key now, is maybe, to yeah, spend less than you earn. That's the key. Yeah, and keep buying. Stick it into assets. Just keep on doing that. You'll be so far ahead of everybody else. It won't be funny. And the Fed will bail you out until it can't anymore. And then we'll have different conversations and nothing will matter. <laughs> um, oh, it's too dark, man. This is, this, is a, this is a more technical one, so this is a good one. If you have a disciplined holding period and a few stocks in the portfolio are at the end of it, do you act as you would regardless of this market drawdown or you do, do you delay taking action? Smartest so, move I've seen has come from somebody who I think is a very intelligent investor and he went to all cash before all this started. Uh, that's what he did. I wrote an article about airlines and how I was going to hold it through all this and sold it the following week when the information changed. I don't believe in rules right now. I think you, I think you have to look at the facts and figure out what you need to do to live with yourself. I mean, you know, and, and you're bound to make a mistake. I'm not comfortable going to cash because I personally want to own equities over the long term, And I don't think I'm going to be good dancing in and out, but I have made moves that I never thought that I would made with it, make within the portfolio right after being pretty public about saying that I'd hold them. Going uh, to cash is almost always the wrong decision. Almost always the wrong decision. His was right, and he was right for the right reason. So, But I agree with you. So there, there's a little bit of research on this that I've seen where uh, discretionary investors tend to hold positions a little bit longer than they should and suboptimally. Uh, and lose some of their alpha from it. So if you have designed sell rules, uh, I would probably try to stick with them. I think they're they're there for a reason. Uh, selling is obviously the hardest part of this game. Um, but I would say follow your follow your procedures that you created during times of calm and don't try to get cute when it's panic time. Endorse. Uh, Steven... <laughs> Isn't Schiller Cape still expensive because Q1 numbers haven't come out? I just answered that question. <laughs> well, if, Don't yeah, get I him mean, started if, again. No, if anything, that makes it more, even more expensive. He, he mentioned, right? he's, he's corrected just a little bit later. But the uh, point okay. is that you take it, you're already taking a 10-year average of inflation-adjusted earnings. Like, there are going to be ups and downs through that period. That's the point of it, that it gives you this... Uh, some smoothing gives you some I do smoothing. think something that you guys have talked about and I think is almost certainly true at this point I would like to think I should say that we're going to end up insourcing a lot of American manufacturing I think margins could come in right I mean the idea that EBIT margins are always going to be this I could see there being some labor pressure on your SGNA if we insource stuff that uh, there's a lot of ways for earnings to come in. I think there's a reasonable chance that Biden's going to get elected. I could argue that corporate taxes are going to go up. Uh, there's there's some risk here. What does that make you do? I mean, nothing. But I just I just <laughs> no, think take that, take all of your take all macro valuations that are earnings based with a grain of salt right now. Like we're, we're we were going into this like two x history's normal profit margins. That's that has been a very long mean reverting data set uh, and ha had been divine gravity for quite a while. So I don't know. I mean, you, at your own risk, you, you think that things will go forever that have historically been mean reverting. A good question here from Martin Titus. Why is selling the hard part? Nobody knows, but everybody agrees that it is. I don't know. <laughs> we all think about buying. We all spend 99% of the time thinking about buying. And then the first time you get to sell something, that's the first time you think about it. I think it it triggers a lot of our behavioral problems where uh, disposition effect, you know, where you the things that you own, you assign a higher value to them than than other people would. Uh, a lot of sunk cost on research, uh, commitment consistency bias, 
it's it's a minefield of of behavioral issues for selling much more diff- than buying i think yeah good answer i agree with all of that you want to take a stab at it, discretionary man <laughs> no i don't <laughs> <laughs> It's a, been pretty beneficial for me. I I was looking back selling? at performance. Yeah. What what what's your sell cue? Just when it's overvalued, or what? What are you? Oh no, you're looking at more. Obviously, you're looking at more than that because we back, thought, back pains. Is that the? <laughs> yeah, probably back pains. Your quote. I, I put your quote up on Twitter about uh, about the airlines. I thought that was interesting about the left tail manifesting, like underweighting it in your initial assessment and then bringing it in and then thinking about it, like seeing it manifest and changing your view on it. I thought that was a good I approach. never even would have fathomed this. Yeah. I mean, you know, no somebody was like, oh, yeah, park half the planes and then have the rest of them be 20% full. I'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's so that was that was a sell decision. That and Budweiser were almost the exact same, or AB InBev were almost the exact same sell decision where I got privy to facts that I did not think were going to exist when I underwrote it. And I was like, I'm not holding through this risk. You're I mean, not saying, that's not inside information. You're just saying you got, you just read something. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, I mean, I was on a JP Morgan call and the guy was like, this is going to decimate emerging markets. All of AB InBev's M markets are emerging. Like, I'm not trying to hold through that. It's just not, not with that kind of leverage. The, the bet had changed. So, you know, how do you know when the bet changes? I don't know. But that time I knew. There was a question here before about space. Sorry, I can't scroll back and find it. But uh, anybody have a go at Virgin Galactic? I'll say this about Virgin Galactic. You don't want to short momentum on the way up because it makes you look like an idiot. And you don't want to short it on the way down because it makes you look cruel. So I wouldn't touch Virgin Galactic with a 10-foot pole. But, uh, you know... You live your life. I don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. I, I made a joke on Twitter when it was like, I, probably pretty close to what it top ticked, but it was at something like six billion times sales. <laughs> Is that I a lot? Think. Is that? I don't know about your valuation uh, criteria, but it's a it's a very good company. That's a compound. <laughs> just just decrease your uh, discount rate, man. Yeah. True. Yeah. What's the growth rate that you need on that to? To grow into six billion times sales, I just that, like that business. There's, it's just so the market is so tiny. I like guess... I, I just don't get it. I, I don't know, and maybe I'm the dolt. That's fine. I'll live without owning it. The bet is, I guess, that, and I think this is possible in our lifetimes that intercontinental, fl- like long haul flights, become flights that go out into space and come back down, and so. Sydney to London, which is like a 24-hour flight, and then you've got to transit through Asia somewhere, becomes a three-hour flight, which you can do on the weekend. Because you can. there's no... I don't know how it works, but I'm not, I'm not a physicist, but you get out of Earth's air and you kind of zip over and then you come back down. A weekend in London. Yeah. Sounds fun. Sounds great. Is there only going to be one competitor? I mean... Well, total eventual <laughs> supply, as you guys often point yeah. out. Car industry is not a great industry. Airline industry turned out to be not so great for me. I'll, I'll let people handle space on their own. Uh, Bill, question on NVR. Got any thoughts? Not really. Nothing Nothing that anybody else doesn't have. I mean, people love its balance sheet. They love the, the guys that operate it. Culturally, it's supposed to be fantastic. But I don't, I don't have any unique insight. So here's a good one. Mark B, instead of picking single stocks in, I'm sorry, instead of picking single stocks in this current market environment, wouldn't it be safer and a lot easier to just buy the SPY? Nah, dog. First of all, real quick, back to the MVR question. Uh, Buffett in 2009 laid out, I think, how he thinks about housing. That was a really good uh, discussion. The 2009 morning session is worth listening to. no, I think picking individual stocks is the best thing to do right now. But I'm also, that's what I do for a living. So I'm sort of not the right person to ask here. Jake Taylor? Um, long enough time horizon, no problem with that. I think you may experience pain along the way that it best be ignored and dollar cost averaged into. But I mean, I... I don't find if I let's imagine the the S and P 500 as a single company that I wanted to buy, 
I don't find the metrics of that company to be particularly compelling relative to the cost of it. So now if I disaggregate it, there's probably some things in there that, that maybe make more sense. And I think we're heading to a time period where there will be more dislocations for individual companies to it, I think we're heading more to a stock picking time period. We have not been in one really. I don't think for the last, I don't know, five years at least. Yeah, I agree with all of that. That's exactly what I think. Um, what metrics do you look for when you're picking a bottom? No one can do it. It's impossible. I just do it as much as possible and send out newsletters every day, every single so that day. I can so that I can say that I picked the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just setting be, up the next ten years of my life. It'll only be obvious in uh, in retrospect. You'll only know like a year later, and you'll have missed it by that point. I'll make sure that I cite the day that I sent out the right thing. That's how I that's how I hedge my bets. I'm going to no, tweet you, it out every day and delete it at up, the end of the half day. Half down to your population, and then that next one, you send the next market call half up and half down, and sure. then eventually. You've, you're a hero to a small subset of your mailing list. And I'll pay a lot That's of money right. for that. Uh, unintended consequences of higher corporate taxes under Biden. Many. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I think is probably coming, not the uh, consequences. Well, it should make things, should make things uh, they're just worth less. Yeah. Yeah, but that's sort of an intended consequence, right? But you've got to think about that. I mean, if it's worth something at X tax rate, if you're doing a valuation, you got to put in a new tax rate that changes the that changes Wasn't the that value. Wasn't that 2016? Yeah. basically, right? Everyone was willing to pay more for corporations because of lower tax rates. Yeah, that's right. So the opposite seems like it would hold. Uh, I get I get two. One more from Martin. Uh, does it say anything that Buffett has not come in and bought anything with all his cash? Jake. I don't think it does. For mine, I don't think it does. I assume he's just crazy busy doing stuff. Why would you tip your hand when you're in there doing your work? Like, I would just get it done and then let everybody know after the fact. I think some people are concerned that they've got some big insurance liability there, that they've underwritten something funky and it's it's going to put a hole in them. It's just not the way that they operate. They, they know the size of all the stuff they underwrite. They know roughly the likelihood that it's going to happen and they get a big fat premium. This is for the Agit Jane, funky, super cat stuff that they do. All of the other stuff is just sort of run of the mill. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think they're going to get dinged too hard. I, I'll take the counter argument just for fun and say that uh, it does tell us something in that... He, there's, I think it tells us a little bit about the quality of the opportunities that have so far been served up. Like the, it feels like at least in my estimation of looking at a lot of, lot more financials or not financials, but a lot more uh, financial statements lately, uh, that the good businesses are still not on just like knock your socks off sale at this point. It's been a lot of the other stuff that's was already kind of a little questionable to begin with. Yeah, and the stuff that Buffett wasn't really probably going to be that interested in anyway. Um, that's my opinion. Like, I think it tells us a little bit more of kind of the bifurcation of the sell-off. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I think people need to keep it in context. We are on March 24th, right? Like, February 28th, the Three world was still going well. And, like, all of a sudden, all these distressed calls are coming into Buffett, and there are these great businesses. Like, I just don't buy it. Uh I think he can probably do a lot in the distressed market with high yield spreads blowing out like they are. Um, I don't well, know. Why shoot your wad now? Why not wait till you see the whites of their eyes, right? And yeah, because well, it's been a I long mean, time. He, maybe it's he not might Buffett not style. be able to see yeah. the whites of their eyes. I He's mean, been sitting for five years more on tons of cash. What's another couple weeks for him while the yeah. paint ratchets up? <laughs> Well, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the the government's going to do with these big liquidity lines. I mean, they may they may take a lot of his opportunity right out from under him. Yeah, that's my nightmare: is the Fed crowding out all the value investors. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I, that's Chris Cole's thesis. He said that before that he thinks that the Fed kind of diving in every time it gets cheap means that it's been hard for value to get get value. Yeah, well, and all these people Amen. need liquidity, right? And they're basically saying, like, we are going to open the spigots of liquidity lines. Like, I, I mean, I, I just don't know how many opportunities there are for Buffett. I think everybody thinks there are, but I'm not sure there are. 
Uh, last question just for fun. If you had to pick the single worst thing to invest in right now, what would you choose? Boy, well, sp- space is pretty hard to <laughs> pretty hard to top. Uh, I mean, my most hated thing is cruise lines because, like, screw them. They don't pay taxes here. And they'll probably rip if they get a bailout, but... Mm-hmm. Cruise lines and casinos, man. If you the casino stocks, if those things can make it, they are gonna rip. Congress, can we? Is that a? <laughs> I want to see. Yeah, I want to see all the cruise lines and all the casinos get the bailouts. That's the. That's where the really important money should go. That's a joke. Everybody who doesn't understand that. Anybody got any other bets for uh, the worst thing to invest in? I mean, I'd look small and uh, a lot of a lot of operating leverage and a lot of financial leverage. That would be that would be my combination to find the worst. Yeah, and then although, get some sort of. Although, yeah, then it uh, everything clears up, and that's a hundred bagger on you. That's right. Well, at some point, these things are going to rip. You just got to pick the one that makes it. Shortfall. Uh, Look, folks, that's uh, that, yeah, that's that's my pick. Shortfall. Shorting vol is almost always the wrong answer. Just. Uh, that that that's how you get taken to the cleaners uh, once every seven years. That's 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 Taleb's whole whole thesis. That's why he wrote the book. And the steamroller. That's time, folks. Uh, thanks very much. It's been super fun as always. Uh, we're going to try and do this every week from here on in until uh, I guess we get tired of it, <laughs> or you do, whichever <laughs> happens first. My money's on us. Thanks, guys. See ya. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 Sing one, two